Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. I'm semi-serious here. You're serious. He will be attractive. He'll be nice and helpful. He'll get a job where he influences a great God-fearing nation. He'll never do an evil thing. He'll never deliberately hurt a living thing. He'll just bit by little bit lower our standards where they're important. Just a tiny little bit. Just coax along, flash over substance. Just a tiny little bit. And he'll talk about all of us really being salesmen. And he'll get all the great women. Today we're anchoring the news with 1987's James L. Brooks romantic comedy drama Broadcast News. Holly Hunter must negotiate a dubious situationship with William Hurt alongside an agenda-heavy friendship with Albert Brooks, all in a highly stressful work environment steeped in perspiration and shoulder pads. Joining us today to dig into this love triangle is somewhat of an expert in journalism and broadcasting. It's writer, editor and podcaster John Bruin. John, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this classic movie. Uh, thanks for having me, Kat and Rich. Uh, I'm not sure about expert, but here we go. Here we go. <laughs> um, John, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to this film? It's actually one I first watched relatively recently. And if I think about it, it would have been during lockdown period when we all had a lot of time to watch films that we hadn't seen. But it's one of those films that, uh, it's 87, so it was floating around uh, at a time then where I did used to go to the cinema, but while I was going to see, say, Howard the Duck or yes. Police Academy mm. 3, <laughs> this, this is the type of more adult-oriented film that I wouldn't have gone to see. You know, and uh, I, I suppose during that voyage back into the eighties that I took, uh, I watched a few films of this nature. Uh, one that comes to mind is After Hours, that quite an odd Scorsese film. I don't know if you've mm. seen that one. And then yeah. this one, and the eighties films, um, you're always hit by the eightiesness of them. And it, it, even though this is a, you know, it's an adult topic, it's about people who are not teenagers it, it, it does appear still to be that slightly sort of John Hughesy element to it that uh mm. and I, I'd, say, I'd say I'd say the thing that really uh, about 80s films that I'd forgotten and this must be to do with the way that it was made for the cinema to sort of wake you up and realize this was the bit um and I'm not the world's biggest expert on musical instruments but it's that electric piano that symbolizes that this is a moment of romance or emotion shared between the characters. Yes. Do you know the one I mean? Yes, uh, I do. And it's a, what's that song? I miss you like crazy. I don't know who sang that, but it's like that sort of Natalie keyboard. Cole. That's it. Yeah, it's Natalie Cole's a variant of this music appears at any point when uh, Holly Hunter and William Hurt are involved in a clinch or. Um, Albert Brooks is failing to uh, secure the love of his life. Those that music always appears, and that is just so nineteen eighties. Yes, there's the, that moment where William Hurt asks her to go to the uh, state dinner with him, and he's in the kitchen on the phone to her. And I can remember noticing that music chiming in at that moment, and we know that he's about to. Ask her. I mean, it is, as yeah. you say, the John Hughes element. It is a bit like a grown-up's pretty in pink, isn't it? 
That that part when they're, they're there and um, and Aaron's sitting, I mean, it was more when they're doing the special report and he's very much the kind of been left out, the gooseberry sitting at home, reading his book and drinking vodka, watching the special report going out live. And he's just sitting there. It, it reminded me of Ducky in Pretty in Pink when yes. I think he was sitting alone yeah, like, yeah. on his yeah. mattress on his floor while... Um, while the date was going on and I think it ended up at Blaine's stables or something like that. But uh, it was that, that kind of thing. And it, it, I mean, this was, you know, love triangles and unrequited love was very much that, that era, wasn't it? And um, yeah, let's say we've, we've added shoulder pads. You're an amazing woman. What a feeling having you inside my head. Yeah, it was an unusual place to be. It's like indescribable. You knew just when to feed me the next line. You knew the second before I needed it. There was like a rhythm we got into. It was like great sex. <laughs> you have to celebrate with whoa, me, don't whoa, you? Whoa. Everybody's going to the bar down the street. What's it called? Caps. I'm going over to Aaron's, yeah. but maybe I'll hook up with all of you later. How long do you think you'll be there? The one thing about uh, journalists is that all they talk about is journalists and other journalists. So there is this... <laughs> it, it's, it, the territory is rife for, I suppose... There's a, there's a battle of egos at, at the heart of this as well, isn't there, between all three characters... Uh, and, and you mentioned network as well, and that that in itself, it, it reminded me of that film again. Like, like you, Rich, I watched that relatively recently, um, and that has the, um, and this is a common thing where, you know, the major anchor, the female anchor, is in a relationship with the boss, which actually is quite common, or has been common in TV. Uh, I read, I watched the Jill Dando documentary, and her boss was the boss of BBC News. And that was her boyfriend, you know. So this this is not oh, an no, uncommon no. thing. So these relationships do happen, and it and it's pretty well put together, isn't it? And um, it, it, in that regard, and I suppose one thing is that my uh, my career, I, I've worked in um, sport for well, almost the last twenty five years. I started as a news journalist, um, which I found very very hard, uh, and uh, I do find it funny that the guy with the you know the, the guy who's you know the character with the unimpeachable good looks, the uh, but is a bit dim. He's an ex-sports reporter, and that is William Hurt. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, it's <laughs> and it, and it's always that they're looked down upon. Now, I think that's you know if you work in newspapers or you work in TV or radio, yeah, we are the toy department. That's what you you referred to, um, and uh, it's. Uh, it's a, it's an easier life. You don't necessarily deal with well, Nicaragua or um, Libyan jets or whatever. Though, I mean, I, I find increasingly the, the the job is more about geopolitics than it used to be. Though, actually, this being American journalism, I think uh, one of the trends in American journalism is that a lot of the big journalists did start out in sports. So there you go. But um, it is interesting that that. that that William Hurt, did I call him the bimbo? He sort of is the bimbo, isn't he, of the of the, of the group? Like you know, and but that switches it around because um, it, it, it's it's you know the, the the most intelligent, the one that's most attractive to everyone uh, is 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 the Holly Hunter character. She's the the one with the real control um, over the other two. That's what it feels to me. 
Yeah, I think that's what makes this um, a really interesting one is that, as you say, the kind of tables turned a little bit there on some of the sort of gender stereotypes. Yeah. And, and you can see that one of the things that she's having most difficulty with is that uh, she's attracted to Tom, but he repeatedly sort of says to her, you're just a bit, you're a bit much, you know, you're, you're, you're <laughs> please stop picking me apart. Please stop criticizing everything I, I'm I'm saying. And, and um, she has that thing where she's like, Oh, I'm, I'm kind of attracted to him against my will. And should I kind of, you know, try and flatten out my competence a little bit in order to make myself more appealing to him. And I really like seeing that as a dilemma that a female character is having. And, and John called him the bimbo. And I think I actually wrote down in my notes, himbo. Yeah. You look at how, again, jumping around, the ending of the film is that she rejects him because ethically, morally, what he did with his sort of breakout story, as it were, goes against everything she thinks about. And it took that, and it was when Aaron kind of gave her the nudge, saying, oh, you know, he only had one camera. And it's kind of like, oh, that's when the penny drops. And all these reasons that she had for kind of, like Kat said, going against her own type and thinking, you know, can I have the simpleton who's really got great hair and go with that? But, um, but I mean, again, it was the 80s because, you know, we're talking, what, 20 minutes before he'd been intimate with her work colleague before she rushingly sent her off to uh, Alaska. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that 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 twist at the end. This this idea of journalistic ethics. Now, actually, this is one of these things that uh, is is almost like a, a, a transcontinental, a cultural difference. Now, because Americans take journalistic ethics really, 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 really very seriously. Now, if you work in the British trade, we don't take it quite as seriously. Now, you might say. <laughs> That's, that speaks to uh, things like phone hacking or uh, the, way, the way that certain uh, publications behave. But the, the thing is, I don't know about you, but uh, the New York Times is boring. Uh, the Washington Post is boring. They have a very, very... They're not, it's not all boring, but you know what I mean? They have a very um, prescribed way of journalism. It's taught as an academic subject... The, the, in this, and so th- this idea of journalistic ethics, it's interesting. This film's made in 1987. By this point, dear Uncle Rupert Murdoch had already conquered New York with essentially British style tabloid journalism. Who, where, where, what, what, what you know, that the, the people wanted to read. And this is an era before Fox News, uh, of course, which is a mid 90s phenomena in which he captured. And made a lot of money from making um, well broadcast news, uh, and William Hurt's um, false tears. Well, I'm prepared to bet that these things are now uh, a big part of how mm. American journalism is is broadcast now. And uh, it, it actually reminded me of uh, the TV series over here, you know, "Drop the Dead Donkey," you know, where. One of the characters, you know, would go to some, uh, you know, so there'd been a disaster or a war zone or whatever, and he'd take a teddy with him because if you put a teddy down, then it symbolises that a child has died or lost its teddy and this adds to the emotion. And that was a satire on, you know, journalism grabbing and getting pictures that 
um, reflect emotion and tug at the viewer, at the at the consumer's heartstrings. And I do think that for that to be the the, the, the hook line almost of this film is it, it's a what would be the word be a sort of slightly pathetic ending to it really. Because uh, maybe I'm used to working in a in a British industry where people fight dirty for stories. I don't know, but um, that seemed quite tame to me. You know, it's not Martin Bashir, is it? You know, it's not. <laughs> it's you know, of course Martin Bashir, a man with zero reputation. But those type of um, tricks, yeah. I, I did find it. I found it. I found it. I found it actually quite innocent, really. Uh, again, it made me feel a bit a bit John Hughes. It makes you realise that um, people of our generation have been raised to be really quite cynical about yes. how we receive media because I'm not in your position. I don't have any of the insider knowledge about these things and yet I too view that bit and think, oh, that'll be going on all the time now. And so that's yeah, exactly. so idealistic now. Yeah, And it probably and, did um, then, you know, it probably did then. Yeah, it probably did. I mean, one thing about that is that I think there's a distinction between the fact that at the end of the movie, we're not told that Tom's character is evil. You know, we sort of see him in the final sequence and he's got his new wife and and she's, you know, sort of getting on with him fine. It's more the distinction that she can't be with him because of that, because it sort of shows him up to be maybe not a particularly authentic guy in terms of how he expresses his emotions. Because there's also that bit with his father saying, "Mm, if you want my opinion, you know, that's not someone that can be very affectionate. And then she she says, oh, what did he say about me? And he says, oh, he says that you're great and fiery and expressive and and um and you think oh yeah he is he is just outright lying to her there not that you'd necessarily want to tell someone the truth about what your father said in that in that um instance but still you're kind of told that yeah maybe maybe he is a little bit too much of a phony for jane are are we sure it's his father because his father doesn't look old enough to be his dad no, that's what, that was my first thought as well. They just got the same fellow who played his dad in the first scene and sprayed his hair grey. <laughs> I mean, Rich, what do you think Jane sees in Tom? Um, other than the, the dashing hair, um, I, I think, again, this is the kind of dilemma she has, isn't it? And, and as John mentioned, she's she's got this idea, not so much because, you know, she's not someone who seems to be focused on guys. She's focused on being great at what she does. And then he comes along and he seems like he wants a girlfriend, a partner who doesn't particularly challenge him. And I think maybe that's the insinuation with the fiance or wife at the end. And because, I mean, the the first time when they go back to her room and basically he leaves because she critiqued him slightly and he seems like he's very thin skinned. And he's the sort of person that in 2023 would be blocking everyone on Twitter who challenged him and his um, various journalistic ways, which would be probably quite quite a few people. Um, but I think it, it seems to be an interesting power dynamic because as she's the the sort of top producer who, you know, over the course of the film gets a, a promotion. And he, I don't know, it's kind of painted that he's already quite a transient person and he's been at many other workplaces before. Mm. And I guess, you know, I I don't really know that industry, but 
is moving around that common. I don't know. Mm. Maybe John can say, but I think you know he's gone from city to city to city, and they kind of parodied that in in Anchorman, where everyone had been everywhere else and sort of landed in the same place. But I think um, here it just seems that he's this kind of dishy guy, and I mean it's it's hard for me to say, but is he the kind of the ultimate catnip for women, you know, she drops everything because he's handsome. And the fact that her colleague kind of asked her permission to go out with him because they'd seen, or she'd seen that they'd been quite close together. It's quite an interesting one because again, it just seems like it's there because she's a career woman and she, she needs a little bit of something to play off the unrequited kind of friend zone relationship she has with Aaron. Well, I think also there's there's something, isn't there, in the fact that he turns down her advances twice, I think, during the yeah. course of the film. And there's that thing where if someone kind of dangles something in front of you and then takes it away, when it, there's also a feeling that he is sort of playing with her a little bit, enjoying her attention and kind of, you know, coming close and then moving off. And, and that, I think, can be quite an addictive thing for people sometimes. And I am reminded that Albert Brooks uh, plays the third wheel to Travis Bickle uh, mm. in in Taxi Driver. So uh, I'm sure we've all seen that film where uh, where <laughs> he, he, he it's actually quite a similar character when uh, Travis takes her rather unfortunately to a porn cinema. He is the guy that has to sort of pick up the pieces of that and uh, I was also looking at other films I would have seen with uh, Albert Brooks in, and he seems to be quite unfortunate because in it, even the film where he marries Goldie Horn. <laughs> I watched that last week. <laughs> His character is interesting, isn't it? Because he is, I suppose he's painted as, you know, much more across the subject, uh, much more mm. diligent, uh, yet... The one thing, actually, uh, that you do have to compare him to to uh, William Hurt's character is that William Hurt is better at the bit that the public see, which is, you know, the, the presentation to the to the camera, that, that great yes. confidence that that he has. The bit where um, Harley Hunter is is trying to get his attention, and then he says, "Hey, I could hear you anyway." You know, he's he's messing around with her. He holds yes. that confidence, yeah. and that actually is. Uh, you know, if you speak to people that have worked in the industry with, say, uh, I spoke to someone worked with Tony Wilson, you know, obviously a, mm. a, a god where I come from. But, yes. you know, that he, he he didn't need anyone to tell him what to do. He just, it was instinctive to him. And someone like the Aaron character does not have that, you know, and that, and he obviously the, the sweat thing. And I, I was reading mm. that... Um, that's actually, I think was that not that based on a story he'd seen himself. Uh, Albert Brooks mm. said, "I want to replicate that," which I think is, yeah, it's, it's a really good, it's a very funny scene. And yes. um, but then again, they sh they themselves share that a moment together, don't they? You know that they obviously are rivals, but he tells him how to tuck in his his blazer, look better, and tries Sit to sit on the on... bottom of his jacket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which I never knew that one. Um, I'm going to try and, that. Uh, yeah. yeah. And um, so, so they share this this moment of almost intimacy, you know, yeah. and then it goes wrong, and then when he, you know, later uh, uh, he, uh, <laughs> and then then he said, "Oh, it went wrong for him." He, he's told by 
Holly Hunter and he said, yeah, I watched the tape back and he's laughing his head off about it, you know. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, the, so the rivalry is there, yeah. But um, you are shown that um, the, the news is about presentation and looking good and all that. And, and actually, I find, uh, if I may say, William Hurt as a heartthrob, I found that as a, well, um, unfortunately in one sense because of such stories that you may have read about him you know, following his death. And also, the uh, the first film I saw him in, actually, is his first film, Altered States. I watched that on holiday when I was about 14, which is a Ken Russell film, and as you can imagine, it's quite bawdy and weird and uh, quite frightening for a 14-year-old boy. Um, and also, he's one of those actors that became a character actor later, you know, like a Christopher Walken or a, um, John Voight or even to sort of... Is it History of Violence that he's in? And he's sort yeah. of almost reaching sort of Ed Harris levels of nastiness in that. And so to cast him back to the 80s, him being this slick, all-American, I found that not not difficult, but it, it, it was strange to see it. It was strange to see it. I don't know. Like I, I had the same issue like when Kat asked earlier about seeing him and we talked about it. Holly Hunter fancying him and I kind of thought he's not your standard and I guess you know this this is the contrast with looking back to then and you think yeah. about you know it it would have been and maybe it is just too simplistic to say had it been a a Michael Douglas type you know eight mid 80s Michael Douglas or something like that it would have been a far more obvious thing but I think well you, you know, think he, Michael Douglas is more Pretty well, no, but no, not hurt. pretty. But I just kind of think that he had that kind of, you know, when you look at him wearing that tight jumper in that nightclub in Basic Instinct. I mean, that's sure, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, gone into well, a I weird area here. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, it's not the scene I remember, Rich. But you know, um. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pause that one too much. But, um, but I think um, what what it's just kind of like John says. He, he, it's hard to see him as a heartthrob. Um, and then conversely, I mean, I, I saw him in a film recently with Sigourney Weaver from before that, and that was another news one. There's an eyewitness or something. He was a janitor or something like that. It's all really wow. weird. And, and, and he played that creepy kind of guy involved in some kind of murder underground kind of thing. It's all very weird. And um, I don't know. I just kind of you can see it from from one point of view and i think he played that confidence really well and i think yeah. more than him just being traditionally handsome or dashing he was he played that kind of confident oaf quite well the way he carried himself and again once he got put in front of the camera he looked like a natural whereas you know the first half of the film he looked a little bit like he wasn't sure about himself and everything and i think yeah. that that that's probably what she found attractive well i think we should also remember that he's in body heat which is Notoriously, one of the sexiest yeah. films, and um, so so, I, and I think that's what sort of catapulted him to fame. Mm, yeah. So that's that's one of the things that people would have been associating him with yeah. when yeah. this was made. So, um, but but it, but you're right though. Absolutely, it's le- it's less to do with kind of you know exactly how he's looking and more to do with that suave vibe. Mm. In fact, there's a shot that I find really funny in it where um, where Jennifer's asking Jane's permission at the party to ask him out, and Jane goes, "Oh, I don't know. I think maybe I do think about him outside the office. I'm not sure if I'm okay with this." And then she looks around the corner at him, and at that particular moment, he's like stuffing a devil's egg into his <laughs> mouth. <laughs> 
sexy, sexy. And just like just looking a bit kind of awkward and like going really hard on the buffet in the way that um, I I tend to sometimes. And um, uh, that, and then she kind of turns back and she's like, actually, uh, maybe it's fine. <laughs> I mean, she found a Roger Moore appealing in Moonraker when she was Doctor Goodhead. So, you oh, know, yeah. Go. So I guess you know. She's uh, she got a thing for that kind of stuff, I suppose. But um, and she was also the henchman's wife in Austin Powers, so clearly attracts the wrong types. Yes, of course. Is there a thing between uh, Aaron and Jane? Is partly the problem, John? Do you think in these industries because people work so hard, yeah, and their life becomes their jobs? There's a kind of implication, I think, with with Aaron and Jane that they're just thrown together so much that they're kind of having to be each other's best friend confidants kind of semi love interest developing kind of crushes or maybe he's developing a crush on her at least just because they're just together so much and that that because he has that um, great line doesn't he in fact i think he's got most of the great lines in this film he does yeah Um, he says Mm. yeah i'd give anything for you to be two people so i could call the one who's my friend and tell her about the one that i like so much (laughs) and yeah there's that feeling isn't it where they're having to play all the roles in each other's lives yeah, there's, a, there's almost like a fraternal aspect to it, though, isn't there, really? Between, yeah, it's like yeah. a brother sister relationship that, yeah, that very quaint thing of them calling from, you know, ho- uh, you know hotel rooms and so on. Yeah, listen, you know, uh, again, I work in a sports department. It, it's not, romance is not a big thing in, the, uh, <laughs> in what is a, is a, is a, it's actually rather male dominated environment it does happen of course but um yeah. but what but yeah i mean you know listen in, in any of these circumstances when you work closely with people as they will do and um the long hours and the you know foreign trips to uh a not particularly uh, realistic looking nicaragua uh, uh that they took is it nicaragua they go to is that right uh, they were talking about sandinistas so i think so yeah yeah um, it had a look of a Burbank uh, uh, studio to me. I don't know about you, but um, anyway, they, they, they um, yeah, I suppose, I suppose that's the issue, isn't it? They've, they've worked together. The other thing is, of course, is that what they do share is that they are again from that, I suppose, that university class uh, of journalism. There would have been, uh, you know. NYU or University of Columbia or wherever it is, one of these sort of big journalism schools, and he's the guy that's come from, uh, you know, the Midwest or whatever, and he is not, you know, it's almost a, almost a sort of Jay Gatsby type of thing, uh, and he is not of their intellectual class, and they they are of a, of a pairing really that that those two sort of fit together in that group, and that does that certainly happens in in the industry because you know. What they don't tell you about journalism is that there is a there is a ruling class in that, and uh, th- th- those in the offices, the editors, uh, they have uh, all been to the same schools and uh, universities and all that type of thing. And he's an outsider to that, isn't he? I think that's the, that's the the view you get of it. And um, they yeah. they share they share the same school of learning, the same ethics, which is obviously that that thing at the end. Um, and and that's what what they, and you would expect that someone like uh, Aaron would expect to marry somebody like her. But do we really get to see what his wife's like? Do we actually see his wife? I'm not even sure we do. Do we just see the little boy at the end? 
Just a um, kid who's very much like if you could imagine yeah. a five-year-old Albert Brooks. Yeah. Absolutely, is, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. A, a boy, a boy guaranteed to be a third wheel twenty years hence. You know, that's the. <laughs> You would suggest that she is the ideal for what he wants because, as as we've said before, they are so dedicated to this life that they only think about journalism, so can't really look beyond journalists, and she is the best around. So that's what he wants. I like the line he gave when um, when he she was talking to him about Tom and he said, nobody invites a bad-looking idiot to their room. So he obviously <laughs> finds him attractive as well. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's very much kind of there, and and I think the kind of the, the relationship that they have, and we we see from the the kind of scenes of them as kids, and he's very much being the gobby one, saying you'll only earn nineteen grand a year, to which the bully kind of thinks, oh, that's not bad. Yeah, that seems to be kind of his. You know, he'll he'll quite happily speak when it's not his place. Th- those those early scenes, like it almost feels to me like the early scene and the last scene were they necessary? Could could the film exist without those? I think it could. And I found that very, again, it's not necessarily 80s, but it's very Hollywood of late 20th century, you know, where they, exposition is added and it, it feels unnecessary. I'm sure you could have made that film, and it's a, it's, a, it's a very good film, you could make that film where you just drop straight into, you know, Washington, office of the news company, off you go, here's the characters, define them straight off. Yet this, this rather odd bit is almost bolted on to yes. what yeah. what could have been a fairly easy setup of what, what goes on from there. And and the ending as well, like you said, um, had the final scene or the final shot been either Tom going off in the kind of airport gizmo off to the plane or yeah. Jane being in the cab away from the airport... I think that would have ended nicely. I don't know if did Tom, I mean, he's a bit of a knob, but did he deserve the <laughs> redemption arc of the kind of, oh, well, look at him seven years later coming back and giving the big I am. And I think that uh, they agonised a little bit about the ending. Uh, they did have, um, they did try and shoot a scene where William Hurt's character came into the back of the car with her, like caught up with her oh, and no. then um, made a big case for, you know, how it wasn't that bad what he'd done and, and um, persuaded her that it was okay. And then they made out and they filmed that. And I think maybe, yeah, they were going to go with that, but then they decided on the alternate ending instead. One thing that I quite like about it is that it shows her having a relationship with both of them that isn't romantic and that that, yeah. for a romantic comedy, is quite an unusual thing to do and sort of refreshing in some ways. Do we think that he's become the new Jack Nicholson character? Because uh, the Jack Nicholson character is it's, it's a very small cameo. It's very good, actually. Uh, yeah, and it's fantastic. Very, it, it's, it's very well observed as well, you know. Um, and that's the other thing, actually, uh, the, the layoffs scenario. Now... I have been through that scenario many times and I have no doubt I will go through that again uh, if you work at a, a journalistic, well, in journalism or in any company, and I've worked in an American company as well, and that same uh, tension that's built into everyone losing their job or having to phone their wife to tell them that, you know, they're out. But that's it's very well observed, isn't it, that the, the station 
chief turns to him and says, and he says, you know, it's terrible, all these people losing their jobs. He's like, well, if you cut a million off your salary, then maybe this wouldn't happen. And then, you know, he has to apologise for that, I think, is what happens next, isn't it? But is it that um, Tom becomes this guy? Does he become the next Jack Nicholson? I, I think so. I think that's kind of mentioned at some point that he, uh, Jack Nicholson, retired. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's... If not implied, I think they may have mentioned it in passing. But but he he says, doesn't he, that he doesn't want editorial control, doesn't he? And he's is it his yeah. speech at the end? So he it's always, <laughs> he's he's got the cat that's got the cream without actually having to do any of the work. I mean, it's a it's yeah. an ideal scenario. It's just and it's always as if actually they've worked out that what Tom is good at is the presentation. He doesn't have to do the rest of it. Just write it for him. Um, and many, many stories about uh, American anchors, and there's some, you know, that appear. Uh, you, there's, uh, you see clips that you know didn't make it onto TV of them going absolutely insane and kicking off, and you wonder if he is one of those monsters. But that's the, that's I think that's almost the implication with the Jack Nicholson character, isn't it? That if his script's off, he'll kick off and all this type of thing. And I suppose that's just one of those things. What ifs, isn't it? Rather than we never know. There wasn't a bigger star in the world, was there, at that point in Jack Nicholson? I don't think so. I mean, bear in mind, I think I, I had a look earlier. James L. Brooks directed six films. Jack Nicholson was in four of them. Right, so they're um, pretty yeah. matey. Yeah. Because he did, yeah, it's a Terms of Endearment, as good as it gets, and then uh, another one, which I can't remember. But yeah, I mean, to turn up and apparently didn't get a salary and just turn up and did the did the cameo um, wow. was amazing because he wasn't in any of the publicity or anything like that but um but when you kind of look at at that and it is very much as you say the presentation they literally he's like a dummy they just kind of wheel out read the auto cue and go away again and don't don't bother yourself with the news don't bother yourself with what's going on or put any of the legwork in just read it and look look handsome go on yeah yeah, the only person that doesn't have to bother about the news is the bloke who reads it. That's the... Yeah. <laughs> now, if there's anything I can do for you, well, I certainly hope you'll die soon. That's the thing about the distinction between good performers and the people that have to research and write things, and that that isn't really very often covered in mainstream no. movies. It's quite good. No, no. It's, it's pretty... It, it's, I mean, listen, I'm sure there are great holes in... Uh, the, the technical bit, and it's, you know, there's that set piece, isn't there, where um, she's directing, a, putting a piece together, and it's against the clock, and that that gives you an edge of the the tension that will go on. Uh, yeah. And you know, I, I work in a uh, on a newspaper, and of course, you know, you go against deadlines all the time, and there's this huge countdown, and then it, it all goes mental for an hour and then it all calms down and they, they 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 did actually reflect that very well the technicalities of it are good and from reading around it a little bit it appears that in the profession it's it's regarded well for that it shows far more of it than say network did which is obviously more of a satire yeah yeah i mean it it, cover, it covers that aspect of it really well and also you know you, you also see the primitive equipment they've got to work with like videotape and stuff like that and, <laughs> yes uh, it looks yes, difficult. that Joan Cusack run with the video. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, you can see that James Ells Brooks is quite involved in The Simpsons. That was very much a kind of Simpson esque scene of her running 
and just kind of that's bit of that, a bit of slapstick, bit of peril that you could have seen Homer or someone like that doing that and banging into a filing cabinet and overstepping a child. It was that, that kind of stuff. I mean, Joan Cusack's great in most things she does, but um, but there it kind of it married that and that little bit of peril, and it was certainly better than the uh, the ending of Ferris Bueller. Uh, but the thing that used to annoy me was you go around to people's houses and say there'd be, I don't know, smoking something or something like that. Hmm. They always put on The Simpsons and you just you just have a room of people sitting there giggling. And I just <laughs> yeah. think, oh, God. And it was terrible. It wasn't really my scene, but I, yeah. I, I actually looked at James L. Brooks, like, you know, Roll of Honor, which is obviously, you know, a decorated career. But I've seen more episodes of Taxi than I have of uh, which was is permanently on wherever you yes. go in the world it would appear to me you know it was it was big in Australia when I was there 25 years ago when, when I went back to the states a few years ago it was still on the TV you know so there is a, there's a guy that is a huge success and he he's now devoted himself to the Simpsons I, I, I read uh, having had a pretty successful Hollywood career as well you know yeah, but say Albert Brooks was the voice of one of the best villains in a Simpsons episode in the kind okay. of Bond par- Bond parody one. It's called "You Only Move Twice," and then he oh, was the right. he was the voice of the villain in the film. Like down the Dallas Cowboys. I bet people laughed at you when you told them that dream. Yeah, Homer, don't give up. They laughed at me the first time I wore jeans with a sport coat. I was the first wealthy man in America to ever do that. Now they all do it. Albert Brooks, we we talked about him in Drive. Yes, we did. Yeah. And very, very different character. Oh, yeah. There. Yeah, some of the stuff he did. I haven't had a chance yet. I don't think it's been on here yet at the time of recording. Anyway, the uh, HBO have done a special about him the way they did about his brother last year, Bob Einstein. That's, I think, going through. And you kind of realize from seeing the, the clips and the trailers of, of Albert Brooks that he's this huge star. Yeah. Over there. Yes. And yet over here, we kind of see him in films and kind of the odd cameo here and there and a little bit of TV. But mainly, you know, over there, he was such a huge star on kind of the talk show circuit and as a comedian and comedy actor. But yeah, we kind of get some edited highlights here and there. But, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing that when it's on. Do you think that, um, that if he had played his card slightly differently, Aaron, that he might have been able to win Jane over? Yeah. I think um, he kind of reacts when she comes to his place after the correspondence dinner. I think he, and bear in mind, she, she, when she left Tom at one point, he shouted at her and she told him, basically, don't raise your voice at me again. Yeah. Um, and then when she said, I can't remember the order, when she said, I, I think I'm in love with him. And he went and he shouted at her and said, get out. Yeah, he's quite awful to her on a few occasions. And that line that he says about my youngest son will say something and I'll tell him it's not nice to make fun of single fat ladies. Yeah. I think like, God. Yeah, that, is a, that is a really weird thing to say. Yeah. Uh, he's not the coolest in the uh, in the heat of romance, is he, old Aaron? No. <laughs> you know, he, he lays it all out there, which, you know, maybe that's the best course of action. But, and obviously, you know, as we find out, he's, he's very happy in the end. But yeah. um, he doesn't get what he wants through that approach. So maybe he learnt a few lessons there. I don't know. But um, yeah, that 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 outburst and when he calls. I mean, Tom is a bit of a wally, but he's not the devil, is he? You know. No, no, I mean, not. I mean, okay, and he he, he did the, 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 he did the the crying thing. Uh, actually, the crying thing does not 
the director or the production assistant almost ask him to do that while they're they're shooting that scene? They certainly recommend that. Yeah, yeah, they certainly recommend it, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Suggest it as a little addition. Yeah. Yeah, it would look better. Yeah. So he goes, "Oh, hang on, I can, I can do this." One thing I don't like also is the way Aaron, when they're watching that footage initially, sort of goes like, oh, you really blew the lid off Nookie there. And he kind of makes light of the subject matter in a bit. The, yeah, well, that, yes, that, yeah, wow, yeah, 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 yes. I mean, that, 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 is, that is actually the subject is, 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 well, it is a very serious topic, isn't yeah, it? And, totally, uh, totally. Is that it was regarded as not as serious a topic then i mean it's difficult to know isn't it because of the way it's treated relatively lightly would would a film now choose that as a set piece in a film i suspect it probably wouldn't for for obvious reasons but i mean with the benefit of hindsight that looks remarkably forward thinking from tom Yes. To think of something, you know, if he's come from a sports background and if he's come up with that independently or yeah. even had the whatever to, to take it to Jane and say, yeah. I'd like to do a story about this and has gone out and found, you know, the woman who Bill Murray duped in Groundhog Day to, to talk to about it on, <laughs> on camera. But I think, um, you know, like, like you said, I think Aaron kind of said about what he said at the end, blowing the lid off Nookie is kind of like, if that's how you're doing it, you're doing it wrong. And I think, you know, that's a, that particular comment anyway doesn't come out very well. Um, one thing I noted, actually, when when he did tell uh, Jane, I'm in love with you, at his flat, she visibly winced or flinched. Really, yeah. And her face was kind of like, Ugh, like whether it was a tick or whatever, but it's just kind of like, you know, she's heard those words. And without using a Simpsons reference, which would go over John's head, but it's just kind of like you could see the exact moment when her heart broke, when she heard those words and went, It It is a bit like, as you said, Rich, like Ducky um, throwing a tantrum in in the tracks record shop. Mm. It's that that kind of slightly, I'm entitled to you. Why aren't you doing the thing that I want? Do, it's a sort of trying to sulk your way into romance slightly. <laughs> Does that not work? Yeah, that that one, <laughs> that one never works. No. Uh, no. <laughs> one thing I really like is the repeated uh, thing of Jane crying <laughs> at her death, like you can, and I think that that's really good because I think that now, if you had the equivalent film, if you showed your heroine taking you know looking at the clock thinking yeah okay i've got a spare few minutes now and now i'm just gonna spend spend a few minutes crying you'd probably be told like no she doesn't look like she's an empowered enough character you've got to make her look more empowered and crying oh. isn't empowered and i i quite like how that is you know just just part of who she is she's incredibly good at her job she's at the top of her game but she also needs to yeah let let the kind of valves clear every now and again because it's so stressful. Didn't they do that in Succession? I think Shiv does that in the last series. Of, she books a meeting room so she can have a cry. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I Fantastic. think, you know, whether that's from here or not, I mean, obviously there's parts of that that are a little bit based on, on broadcast news. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, I mean, that kind of shows that, you know, if she's able to, I mean, to set aside that time but one of the things i found i shouldn't find it hilarious but one of the bits where she was crying i think in central america and she's on this jetty crying and you know on her knees and behind her there's just a a local woman going about her business hanging up some washing yes yes. oh there's there's the american woman crying and i'm just (laughs) going to carry on doing my just carry on with life (laughs) 
Well, is it is it is it the the, the Joan Cusack character that says, you know, like I've got most respect for you. I just wouldn't want your social life. Is that what she says? <laughs> yeah, you're my. She says you're my idol, not socially, obviously, but otherwise. <laughs> yeah, 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 which is a brilliant. That's line. such a great line. Yeah. So good. In in uh, a newsroom, in any office, of course, there'll be those that are the that are playing out the drama in front of everybody, aren't they? And uh, yeah. there's always the uh, almost the chorus line to deliver those type of um, comments. It's almost like a, that's almost like a Coronation Street line, isn't it? That one, you know, just of, of taking down that you know highfalutin, all powerful exec who's you know is going to the top with just this you know y- your life is a mess and that i mean i suppose that is actually the, one of the essences of, of, of the film is that as successful outwardly as these people might be it's difficult to make a success of life when uh you're under pressure and just because you are a, a, an intellectual and a journalist doesn't mean that you can conquer the rest of life's challenges and that appears to be particularly Holly Hunter's problem and Aaron mm. as well. Tom just cruises through life doing what he likes, it would be. Um, Sailing upwards. Absolutely, yeah. 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 That's a great thing about it in that it shows that, yeah, someone like Jane can be so on top of her game, but she's still having the same kind of problems that you might feel when you're like, oh, you know. Why hasn't he called me yet? Or you know, it's that it's that all yeah, of the yeah. same kind of insecurities, and that no matter what happens to you in life, you can't get rid of your your just essential vulnerability, and that um or the or that <laughs> feeling that thing that thing that his father says about you know just that feeling that your your intrinsic personality might just not fit very neatly into particular because when you see his new wife at the end of the film, she looks so different, doesn't she, to Jane? Yes, such a different. Yeah role that she's playing there and you think yeah she he couldn't have ended up with jane that's his new wife you know i love the bit um during the layoffs i know john sort of hinted at earlier but you can imagine when the studio the head of the studio whoever it was head of news said to jack nicholson well we could save these jobs if we shaved a million off your salary and i was kind of thinking about that you know say if they walked around you know the, the bbc with gary lineker saying well we're going to cut you but um and the kind of look that jack nicholson gave him was just yeah, kind of like, amazing. what? No, just no. And, and the groveling around it. Oh, it's just a joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Jack Nicholson. Mm. No, I mean, I've been funny enough. I've been in that situation before, where uh, I mean, I was made redundant myself five or six years ago, and uh, you get a lot of, you know, oh well, uh, you know, that's terrible. <laughs> but you know, that's there's no sort of uh, sacrifice. You know, anything I can do to help you. Sort of thing, and uh, but not that, but but not not necessarily that, yeah. And that's yeah. you know, and that that's accept, that's fine. That's all you have to say, really. But uh, yeah, the the idea of um, top execs taking a cut when those at the bottom uh, lose their jobs, well, that doesn't happen in any organisation, as far as I can gather, mm. uh, and particularly not news. I mean, like, listen, you know, you you're speaking to me. Uh, last week, you know, 450 people lose their jobs at Reach and this is what happens the whole time. And it's, uh, it, it, again, as I said, it, it's well observed the way that that, that carries on, that, that that process carries on, that, that, that they depict that that fear in the office that, 
you know, you, that's going to be the end of you. Um, I suppose the one thing is that they're in Washington where other jobs will be available. But if you are out in the CBS offices in Reno or whatever, then, oh dear, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the issue. It's a, it's a, it's a tough old world and uh, jobs get cut. And in America, particularly, it seems to happen all the time and still does and has done since that era. Yeah, and it was John Cusack getting sacked as well. The the messenger throwing his bag down, shouting assholes or something like that. That's not the reason you're not coming. Of course it's the reason. It's terrible what you did. We disagree on how god-awful it was. Why don't you come with me? We'll disagree and we'll get a tan at the same time. He may have seen her as some kind of sex mentor. Um, some sort of <laughs> some sort of muse, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, basically, if I if I sleep with you, will you give me tips on how to improve my performance so at work? At work, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I think that may have been part of it. I think he he did seem quite keen from the off to get her feedback, and he he clearly respected her to some extent as a professional. Um, but I think that was partly why he was interested. I'd imagine. Yes. Maybe Cat may be able to answer this. You too, Rich, of course. But his, you know, you know when he's uh, Tom is caught in these uh, flourishes of, uh, he almost gets ahead of himself. These romantic things about you feel like you're inside my mind, mm. and then, I mean, come on, does that is that not a bit much? I was half hoping I wouldn't have a good time tonight. You know why? Because you're nuts. Right, right, isn't she fun to tease? Mm. What? More and more lately. And I've been watching you in action, seeing all your energy. I've been wondering what it'd be like to be inside all that energy. Me too. After they've done the um, special report and he, you know, do they ace it together, he runs out and they celebrate together. And then he he, he says something similar to her at the ball, which is something about being inside. And, and yeah, it's like, I want oh. to be inside all that energy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh. And she, she, she rebuffs it at that point, does she not? I think she's a bit like... Hang on. He, he he goes a bit too far. Like his, you know, his sort of romantic lead is, he's not even that good at that, is he? You know. Yes, she calls him on that, doesn't she? She sort of says, you're trying to make yeah, it all could... about heat and sex or, you know. You're, yeah, yeah. You're kind of, um, or, uh, and then she says, oh, maybe you're just trying to sort of, you know say everything that comes into your mind because of you know kind of growing intimacy but the i think that the fact that he does on those two occasions do that does mean that the fact that he doesn't go to bed with her or he sort of decides not to at the last minute on both cases you do feel like she is being played with a bit because as you say if someone was going to say that to you you think well then 
if I'm up for it, then I kind of expect that you're going to be up for it because you've laid it on yeah. one so strongly. So then when they're just like, oh, actually, I think I have to go to bed. I've got to get some sleep tonight. My father's coming tomorrow. You'd be like, oh, God, now I feel really toyed with. Yeah, that's... Um, yeah. And then the and then the holidays at the end, you know. Oh, yes. we can just sort it out on a holiday when we get there. Well, that one never works. So what, you know, you're in an all, you're in an all inclusive somewhere, and you hate each other. It's like, oh god, tra- trapped in the middle of nowhere, and it's a s- hour to the airport in the Dom Rep or somewhere like that. You know, <laughs> Magaluf. Yeah, he has a sort of uh, a rather surface level attitude to these things, doesn't he? I'll oh, just come on the holiday. We'll see how we go. You know, and uh, she seems like the last person that would ever do anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. it would have made the ending of Top Gun very different if uh, Maverick had said to Iceman, oh, "What a feeling having you inside my head." You know, you can be my wingman anytime. You can be my wingman anytime. Bullshit. You can be mine. Like a victory for him to show that you know I blew in from wherever into Washington from the sports department, and I still got the girl that none of you could get. If we're talking like using your football head, John, is this like Man United going to the Club World Cup in 2000 and just turning up and thinking they could roll over and getting beaten by the Nick, locals? Well, they, they drew with Nicaxa, yeah, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> lost to... Yeah, they drew to a Mexican team. <laughs> we'll and, turn up and win, we'll be fine. Yeah, and then they end up playing beach football, yeah. They, yeah, it's sort of true, yeah. Yeah, but I, 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 you get the impression that Tom has had quite a lot of success with women he's 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 not lacking in confidence in that regard no i think do you think that's why they make the choice to show us a little bit of um the post-coital scene between him and jennifer because that's quite uh we get a little bit of an insight there don't we into just sort of like his his ability to go to bed with women and have quite a good night with them and it not be you know anything anything it was the 80s People still have sex now, I think. (laughs) In her second bedroom, which is now a walk-in wardrobe. Yes, I enjoy. I was quite envious of that. I (laughs) like that. Uh, What what do we think about the 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 use of shoulder pads uh, uh, for uh, Albert Brooks? Did she pass? Is what she passes over her shoulder pads to him? And then, she and then he it. lost. And then he lost one because he said it may have drowned in the sweat. But that she wears it, a shoulderless dress. I, know I think she took it out of her jacket, didn't she? Ah, right. Her, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Right. But it even is so, a yeah. weak era for shoulder pads, isn't it? It's quite an interesting moment. In so cut my bit and said where I said it was the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing. I mean. I mean, having shoulder pads as a as a key plotline. I mean, it really does show how eighties it was. Yeah. So, yes. shoulder pads, shoulder pads plus electric piano. It's all there, <laughs> isn't it? It's it's the eighties. Tom's the one who kind of doesn't really get hurt as much, and I think that's kind of it in a damage limitation kind of way. Yeah, I think he's the one that probably comes out of it with the less least pain. Yes. Um, whereas I think Jane and, and Aaron definitely do. Um, and I think if you're holding cards, I mean, it's not exactly a high stack, but I think he's he probably got more than the others, albeit he doesn't exactly come out of it 
you know, further, significantly further ahead than the others because I think at the end we're all winners. I mean, do you think yeah. that's quite that's quite realistic that a character like Tom is the person that's you know remains unscathed from these kind of situations? I think that's the um, shit don't stick. I think um, I think a lot of it is just that he comes out of it un- relatively unscathed because that's probably how he's kind of managed to get himself through life. He seems to have kind of worked his way into positions of generally heading upwards. And I think here he doesn't have his heart broken. He doesn't come out of it particularly unscathed and comes out of it with a a fiancé, a wife at the end and everything he really dreamed of. So I think this was just kind of, for him, he probably looks back at it as just a, a short holiday in Washington on his uh, on his career, whereas the other two, because they have that friendship, and because they didn't, you know, there wasn't a a situation where Jane didn't go off with one of them, which would have really unbalanced the other one. I think because they all kind of parted ways generally at the end, I think that it's one of the more even ones we've done. Yes. Mm. Do, you, do, you do you feel as if you know some Toms, John? Uh, difficult to transpose it, but yes, I mean, the, <laughs> yeah, I can think of people that certainly sail through their existence and uh, I suppose the thing that he is good at is managing up towards yeah. the, you know he's very popular with the bosses one thing I thought actually about the Jack Nicholson character is that if this was real he would actually still be in a job now because these American broadcasters seem to stay in the job till they're you know about 102 so yes it, so you know, Tom might still be, you know, Tom Tom would still be in a job now. You know, you have these Leslie Stars and all these type of people in the States that just keep going and going and going uh, at, at, the, at the very top of uh, American journalism, which is a very much an empire-building thing. Whereas Tom arrives in this, just becomes a newscaster for... You know, until he retires, what do the what do the other two end up doing? Do they become, do they specialize? Do they make documentaries? Do they move into another world? It's difficult to to imagine. Or do they just stay in that game because they're so dedicated to that industry? It's difficult to yeah. to push them forward because the one thing is that this is, I think, is made in an era just before cable news and stuff like that. Some before. Just, I, mean, I suppose CNN is on its way or was around by this point. As I said before, Fox wasn't around. It's it, it's very of its time, although mm. it speaks ahead of its time. It, it, it's interesting to, to, to consider where they would be career-wise, but they, they, as Rich said, it all ends up sort of levels you devils because everyone's got what they want. And I think the thing that you get out of uh, Holly Hunter's character is that she might not necessarily be someone that is going to be married and settle down with people. Maybe that's not her character. Whereas the other two have a different outlook. And that was the way it was always going to be from the start, that she was that, you know. And actually, that's different to quite a lot of films of the era, isn't it? That It really it is. is. Okay. It still is, I think, for romantic comedies, actually. Yeah. yeah, it is okay for her to be, oh, yeah, I've just got this new guy, we'll see how it goes, which is a totally normal thing for people to be, but Completely. not in the Hollywood world of the 1980s yeah. or the three and a half decades since. 
Yeah, and the fact that she looks totally at ease with that as well. There's no implication yeah. that, oh, you know, she's less happy than the two of them because she's got a more kind of casual relationship. It's just like, yeah, that's my situation and that's fine and that's, you know, my life. And um, as you say, totally normal. And Yeah, and for someone who, if you commit so much to, to work, then that's what can happen. Believe me, but yeah, you know, yeah. It, 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 it can, and uh, that, that that that's a it's a big part of it, you know. Hopefully, the last time we got back to Pretty in Pink, the ending there, where it was, they they made an ending. It wasn't very popular, so they went and remade another one, where basically, which one does the woman choose? And she yeah. had to make a choice at the end. Whereas this one, it was like everyone made pretty much their own choices, and they're all quite happy. Yeah, because I think in Pretty in Pink, I mean, I, I, I can sort of understand why they went with the ending that they did yeah. with Pretty in Pink. But you could argue that Andy and Pretty in Pink probably would be better off without either of them. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Because they're both kind of nightmares. John, where can people find you? You've got your own podcast that you appear on, don't you? Yeah, uh, yeah I'm a, 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 regular appear, a regularly appear on Football Weekly, The Guardian's football podcast. And you can read some of my dribblings in The Guardian as well and various other places who will take me. Uh, so if anyone wants to take me, take me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, so yeah, that's mostly it. Um, uh, a freelancer, gun for hire, etc., etc. aren't we all? And uh, we are all these days in the post-broadcast news um, media makeup. Um, but yeah, uh, Football Weekly, listen to that. Occasionally get me talking about films and music, but most of the time it's just football, I'm afraid. I follow you on Twitter, John, and you talk about all kinds of things on there. <laughs> yes, absolute <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> Not at all. Well, as we check our shirts for sweat patches and get that video in the machine in the nick of time, we leave wondering that wouldn't this be a great world if insecurity and desperation made us more attractive if needy were a turn on? I've been Rich. I've been Kat. I've been John. And this has been Don't You Want Me. I'm